Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, verses 16 to the end of, of 4. Okay? Great. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpets, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Cap. All right, y'all be seated. All right, three things uh, we're going to talk about today in preparation to come to the table based on where we're at in this book of Nehemiah. One, if you're the note-taking type, uh, armed for the fight is what we're going to talk about first. Secondly, brothers and sisters for the fight. that We don't just fight alone. We have brothers and sisters for this fight. And then thirdly, uh, our God who fights for us, okay? So armed for the fight, brothers and sisters for the fight our God who fights for us. So I said this last week, and this is kind of a couple of weeks in a row in this chapter, but in this idea of resistance, that I said that anytime you're trying to build something, um, accomplish anything that is in line with what God calls us to as his people, Uh, anything that's trying to bring glory to God's name, uh, that is good, uh, that is in line with his redemptive plan, uh, that reflects his kingdom. Anytime you're trying to build anything like that, like a good marriage, like anytime you're trying to parent well, uh, anytime you're trying to push things forward in your small group, uh, anytime you're trying to shift culture at your work in a productive way, anytime you're trying to like start a, a deeper relationship with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, you should expect resistance. Like that's a part of the gig, right? When you're trying to actually be a part of what God is doing, you should expect resistance. In fact, resistance in many times is the evidence that you're on the right path. It's the proof that you're attempting something that the enemy hates, the enemy despises and wants to thwart. He's throwing everything he can to stop that from moving forward. And Nehemiah, he recognizes this in his call to rebuild Jerusalem, right? He, he was called by God. God put it in his heart to go do this for the Jewish people to rebuild the city, which was to reestablish the worship of God, their relationship with him and, and their relationships with one another. These were scattered people coming out of exile. Nehemiah recognizes that there's going to be resistance against that. It took the form of two guys, Sambalot and Tobiah. Remember last week? Sambalots and Tobias of our lives. They were trying to discourage all of the people kind of take their heart out for the work. And if they could get their hearts discouraged, they know if I can get you discouraged, that's going to stop the work. And so Nehemiah, part of right before this and then part of this, this is kind of his William Wallace moment, right? You guys remember Braveheart where he rides up on the horse, right? And the nobles are like saying, this is our army. you got the pledge allegiance to it, right? And he's like, yeah, scream, sons of Scotland. And that little wimpy guy's like, 
Go home, the English are too many, right? This is that moment, right? And Nehemiah is throwing down. He's encouraging the people with the truth. He's saying, hey, what we're doing, it's not just us that's doing it. God is doing something here. He is fighting for us. His gracious hand is upon us. So keep going. Keep fighting for this. He tells them, don't be afraid of them. Remember, the Lord who is great and who is awesome. Remember the Lord, and then what? And then fight for your families. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters, your wives, your homes. Fight. You got to remember, and then you got to fight. So if we're going to fight, there's something pretty important. That's the first point, is we have to be actually armed for the fight, right? If I'm going to go into battle, right, I don't know if I guess I played high school. I didn't play high school football. I was too small. But junior high, I mean, you remember being in the locker room and you're putting everything on? You're actually preparing, right? You're getting yourself psyched up and ready to actually go out and fight. You have to be armed for the fight. So Nehemiah understands this. He understands that the threat is real, right? And so he prepares the people for the possibility of this attack. He posts guard, but he arms the people, right? The whole first few verses here, he's handing out spears and shields and bows and armor. He's saying, there is a potential of a conflict here, a battle here, and I'm going to turn this group, remember, of perfumers, (laughs) right? Perfumers and priests, people who hadn't held swords. Perfumers and priests into an armored building force. You're going to have one hand, on your work, and you're going to have one hand on your weapon, right? One hand's going to hold a weapon, and one hand's going to go to work. The work has to continue, but you have to be prepared for the, t- the attack that may happen, right? So practically, what I want you to do today is I want you to go home, and I want you to make your lunch while holding a sword. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but think about that. I mean, it's crazy. It's hard enough to do the work with two hands, Right? But it's so, it was so real, the threat was so imminent, you're going to have to hold a sword in one hand or a spear in one hand or a shield in one hand, and then you're going to have to do the work with the other hand, right? You've got to be armed for this fight. Well, I doubt any of you are actually going to have to pull out a sword or a shield or anything for a physical attack today. I hope that's not the case. But last week, we spent a lot of time trying to heighten our sense or wake us up to the fact that Scripture says that we too have a battle going on, that there's resistance going on, that we have a spiritual enemy that is actively trying to frustrate us building or rebuilding anything, again, that is redemptive or glorifying to God or that is good for his people, our relationship to him or our relationship to one another. He is working against that constantly. He wants to tear down you, your lives, your marriages, your friendships, your work. He wants to destroy you. I don't say that to scare you, but I say that to wake you up, right? But we're not just called to be passive, like, okay, I know that that's happening, that that's real. I'm aware of the spiritual battle I'm in. We're not just called to be passive in that fight. We remember, you know, who the Lord is, but we're called to fight, right? He says that. Fight for your families. Well, if I'm going to fight, I have to armor up, right? Nehemiah knew that. He armored the people up. Well, Paul talks about it for us in Ephesians 6, and he outlines some of this critical armor that we have been given because of what Christ has done for us so that we can engage in the fight. 
Ephesians 6, you could go read it. I would encourage you to go read it. But here are some of the, the pieces of armor. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. We have feet fitted with the gospel of peace. We have the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? And we have this thing called the helmet of salvation. And Paul says there in Ephesians 6, I have given you this armor so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil is scheming. He's, he's a devourer. He's somebody who wants to actually disrupt everything that is good that's going on in your life. And you have armor for that fight. And you have to be armed for that fight. So I could preach on each one of those parts of the armor, but let me just say this. I want to say something about the whole of it. Because each part is... It's its own, it is. It's its own sermon. It's its own like massive theological important thing. But I want to say something about the whole of it because we're called to put on all of it. He says, put on this armor of God, and we need all of it to actually be protected and engaged in this battle, right? Well, Paul gives this list of armor and basically is saying this. If you go outside today, if you and I go out into our lives, into the things that God has called us into without putting this on, putting all of it on, actively being aware and engaging in it. Christ's righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, which protects your heart, right? Christ's righteousness over my heart. Or if you go out without the belt of truth, which is for, for the warriors of the day, they would literally pull up their robes and they would belt that up so that they could actually move and be agile. The belt of truth holding up your pants, girding you up. If you go out without your feet laced up with the gospel of peace, you ever walk around with your shoes untied, right? He's saying literally lace them up with the gospel of peace. Without the sword of the Spirit, right? Which is the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit and the Word, which is the sword in the Holy Spirit's hand, which actually defends you, Right? And without your head covered with this helmet of salvation, if, if you don't go out with all of that armor on, you are going out into the world unprepared for what's about to happen. And you have all the armor. It's not like you got to go buy it. It's not like you got to go work for it. It's not like, well, I leveled up. You know, I got the boots already, but I'm still waiting to get the buckle. It all comes with Jesus, and you have Christ, right? You've been given everything you need for life and godliness, and this is a part of it. But so many days, it's like us going outside, and I realize I left all of my armor at home. I haven't acknowledged that I have it. I haven't put it on. It's like in the Marvel films, how many times has Tony Stark been compromised because he was out there, and the battle came to him, and what? He didn't have the suit, right? So he's like pressing all of his little funky buttons, and maybe he gets like the hand, right, to fight a little bit, but he doesn't have the whole thing. It's like Iron Man without the suit. He's just Tony Stark. He's got to have the suit. We have the suit. You have it. Are you putting it on? Let me just say, I'll say one thing about one part of the armor, the breastplate of righteousness. What, what righteousness is, if you just take that word righteousness, what that means is our rightness, right? Am I right with God? Am I right with you, right? Am I right? Am I in the right, right? Right? The breastplate of righteousness, if I don't have Christ's righteousness over my heart, 
then every single day when I step out there into the world, I'm trying to prove to God and to everyone around me, I'm right. I've got it right. I've done it right. I'm good enough. What is that, Stuart Smalley? <laughs> and doggone it, people like me, right? I got it right. Well, the problem is, is if, if I have anything other than Christ's breastplate protecting my heart, then basically I've, I've got something else over my heart. It's like when you were a little kid, did you ever have the, the Hutch football pads? They were like the little plastic ones that came with the jersey and the little plastic helmet, right? And then you actually go out with your friends and you hit each other and you realize this isn't real armor. Like this still really hurts because this is just, you know, it's like Halloween costume stuff. Well, that's what most of us do is, is we actually don't, we don't put on the armor that we do have in Christ. I try to pick up something else to put over my heart and say, this is what's going to protect me. This is what's going to make me right. And as a result, it's insufficient armor, right? It's not enough. So first off, are you armored for the fight? Do you know what this armor is that you have been given in Christ? What it means for you? How it protects you? How to put it on? Do you know how to put it on? Or are you out there laboring? Are you out there every single day battling under-armored, right, for the battle? One of the questions I just ask you to even consider is, have you turned down the armor God has given you for other armor? Like money. Like that's one of the big ones that Scripture says people try to armor themselves with. Proverbs 18 says that the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. What's he warning against? He's saying, you think your wealth is a big enough wall to protect you? It's not. You think it's a fortified city? It's not. You imagine it too high to scale? It's not. The only thing that's going to protect you is this armor and what Jesus has done for you. So are you armored for the fight? Secondly, you have brothers and sisters for the fight. This is what I want to spend most of the time talking about this morning. You have brothers and sisters for this fight. You know, it says in there that each of them returns to their work, so we continued the work. Everybody was working on their own individual parts of this rebuild of Jerusalem, right? Kind of clumped together by their families and their clans. But they were all working on something together, right? It wasn't like they were all, if you remember when Jonathan was here and he made the towers, I thought that was such a great illustration. Everybody wasn't just building their own little tower. They were building a wall, right? And they understood that as long as one part of the wall is vulnerable, the whole city is vulnerable, right? So we benefit from the rebuilding of the entire wall. So if there's a weak spot in the wall, that's a weak spot for all of us. It's not just a weak spot for the family who's working on that section of the wall. It's like, in Lord of the Rings, when Helm's Deep, you remember they had that giant orc who ran, like blew the wall up? It only took one little breach in the wall for that whole city to fall, right? It's that picture. Almost every medieval film, it's like someone ramming the gate. It's like one little crack in the wall, the whole city's done. And they got that. And Nehemiah understood, okay, I've armored all these people for the fight, but there's going to be battles that come along that are too big for you to fight by yourself. And it says in here, Verse 19, the work is extensive, so we got a lot to do. It's spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. 
What's he saying there? He's saying, we got a problem. It'd be a problem if you aren't armored for the fight. But there's also a problem is, is, is that you're spread out. That the work that you're doing on your section, you're spread out, widely separated. There's a distance between us that makes us vulnerable, is basically what Nehemiah is saying. And he's saying being disconnected and being isolated makes you vulnerable and it's not okay, right? And so what? There's going to come a time where it's just not going to be enough for you to have your own sword and for you to have your own helmet and your own breastplate and your own spear. There's going to become a time where someone's going to have to come fight for you or you're going to have to go fight for somebody else. And so he got a trumpeter, right? Got the kid's attention now, didn't I? You think you can be noisy? Yeah, he got a trumpeter. And obviously, I wasn't the one he would have picked. I don't know. Yeah. I used to play one of these a long, long time ago. He got a trumpeter who's going to stay with him. I aroused them more. You're going to challenge me. I get it. I talk over children all day long. <laughs> he stays with Nehemiah, and whenever trouble arose, the trumpet was blown, and the people, what were they to do? They were to drop what they were doing, and what does he say there? Join us there. Our God will fight for us. Join us there. Our God will fight for us. And what he's saying there is, is this. When we come together, God does something for us through us. God fights for us through us joining and coming together. I can't fight for myself all the time. I need somebody to blow this thing and come to my aid, or I need to blow this thing and go to someone else's aid, because the way that God fights for us is as he fights for us through us. He didn't have to do it that way, but that's his prerogative, and that's the way he has chosen to do it. And so when I tell you about that armor that I said you don't maybe put on every day, one of the big problems with you not putting that armor on or me not putting that armor on is this is not just that I'm not armored for the fight that's coming to me. I'm not ready to go fight for somebody else. I put that armor on not just for my protection, not just for my fight. I put it on for yours, right? Because I know that someday <laughs> someone's going to blow the trumpet, right? And I'm not going to have time necessarily to run home and get my armor on to go fight. Nehemiah is saying, I'm going to keep a trumpeter with me, and when I blow it, you better be ready to go. Because you've been given brothers and sisters for the fight, and together we can actually stand against that adversary, because fighting for you is fighting for us, and us is worth fighting for, is what he's saying. So let me ask you this. I've asked you, are you armored for the fight? If you are armored for the fight, let me ask you this. Who fights for you? 
Like, who are you building and or rebuilding with in your life? And if you don't have a name that comes to your mind pretty quickly right now, you should be concerned. I'm warning you that you are vulnerable to attack because you may be spiritually armored for the battle, but you were never meant to battle alone. And so if you don't have somebody that comes to mind that says, when I do this, when I blow this, I know who's coming because we've talked about it, right? I've invited them in and I've called them into the fight, right? The trumpet was only used in two different ways in the Old Testament, worship and war. So maybe I will blow this every Sunday and I'll just drive around Creep Hall and blow it. <laughs> worship and war, right? So who fights for you, you know? Or maybe this, who knows you are in need of fighting for? Like, have you ever, or do you practice asking somebody else, hey, I'm blowing the trumpet here. I need you to come fight for me, right? Most people, I'll just say it this way, they never blow the trumpet. There's a reason. It's called pride. I don't want to admit that I need help, right? I said that with our, our small group guys were together and said, help is the hardest word for a man to say. Help, I need help, right? Pride, that's one of the reasons we don't blow the trumpet. Or often, you blow it too late, right? I blow it once the battle's over and the walls are already down. And oftentimes, I don't blow it because I'm the one who tore my wall down. It wasn't the enemy, it was me. I've made a mess of the city, right? So pride can keep me from blowing it, but so can shame. And let me tell you something, pride and shame, they're two sides of the same coin, and it's the coin that the devil literally rolls between his fingers like a magician. If I can keep you in pride or I can keep you in shame, then I can keep you from doing this. Well, Jesus has set you free from living a life of pride or being condemned by your failure, right? He's saying pride and shame, that has nothing to do with this. I, I am called to fight, and I've been given brothers and sisters for the fight, and I need to blow this trumpet. So who fights for you? Who knows that you need fighting for? Or this, who do you fight for? Like Nehemiah, I don't know where his position was, but he was looking for the low wall, part of the wall, right? And he was blowing the trumpet for other people. Like where do you see in your brothers and sisters, like, hey, there's a vulnerable spot there. I mean, this is risky, right? I know I'm asking, I mean, this is, this is tough. I see something in your life, a need, and I don't blow the trumpet. I don't go to your aid. Why don't we do that? Well, here's some of the reasons I don't. One, I have to stop working on my part of the wall to do that, Right? He said, drop everything and join us there. Well, I don't want to drop everything because me loves me some me and I got a lot going on, right? I don't want to set everything down and come to your aid. I have to stop working on my part of the wall to go to someone else's part. I have to actually believe I have something to offer and many days I don't believe I have anything to offer. But I just told you, you do. You're a warrior, right? You have spiritual resources to bring to the fight. But many days, I don't believe I have anything to offer. Sometimes I don't do it because it takes courage to do it, and I'm a coward. 
So I actually have to go to the Lord to get the courage to then go be courageous with somebody else and say, hey, I see a vulnerability in your wall. I see a battle that you're not fighting and I want to come fight it with you, right? Sometimes fighting for people, this is another reason I don't do it. It looks like fighting with them, not just fighting for them because they don't want your help, right? Or they want your help only in the ways that they want your help, but that wouldn't help. And you're like, hey, I gotta come fight for you, but it's gonna take me fighting against you first to get to fight for you. That's tough, right? We got this common enemy to fight, but I gotta fight against you to even fight together. I'm a people pleaser by nature, by fallen nature. (laughs) And if my peace is found in everyone liking me, then I will never fight for anybody in the way that I'm talking about, right? But remember, my feet have been fitted with the gospel of peace, so my peace doesn't have to be in everybody liking me. I can go fight, right? Fighting for others, if I'm going to have courage to do this and step into these battles, it's going to take faith. What have you been given? The shield of faith, right? You see it? You've got armor for this fight. It involves risk, but this is the call of the church, Yes, God is fighting for us, and how he is fighting for us is fighting for us through us. We've been set free, and we've been given resources for this fight. So are you armed for the fight? Do you have brothers and sisters in the fight? Do you know who fights for you and who you're fighting for? Lastly, and to get us ready to come to the table, ultimately, all of that is true under this. We have a God who fights for us. Our God, Nehemiah said, will fight for us. And the picture he paints here, the last few verses here, I mean, this is all night work, right? This is 24-7, first light to starlight, all night work. Everybody's sleeping with their clothes on. So I guess the perfumers had a really big job making extra cologne for everybody who stunk, Right? Everybody was fighting and working and and ready to go constantly. But this verse, and this will kind of hopefully bring us to the table. He says, have every man, verse 22, and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can service as guards by night and workers by day. Every man and his helper. Yes, we have to be ready for the battle and we've been given armor. Yes, we cannot fight alone and we need one another but this, this helper that they're talking about, there's not a lot that's said about this, but that word, um, what it means is, is one who has been called and assigned to be by one's side. He's my helper. And in the New Testament, that, that, the parallel word in the Greek is the word that we've been given for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, right? That we have a helper, a spirit who has been assigned to one side, who dwells within you, right? We have a spirit who fights for us and who guards us in ways and at times when we don't even know that we need protection, right? Romans 8 says that this Holy Spirit, our helper, who is with us day and night, helps us in our weakness, prays for us in wordless groans in ways that we can't even put language to, That's who's by your side, who's fighting for you. 
the one that Jesus said in John 14, I will give you another, an advocate to help you and he will be with you forever. You're never without somebody with you in this fight, right? So we have a helper, the Holy Spirit. We have a helper in Jesus, right? First member or second member of the Trinity and third member of the Trinity, right? Holy Spirit, Jesus. Listen to this in Hebrews. Jesus, it says here that he always lives to intercede for us, but because Jesus lives forever, right? That's what we celebrate at this table, right? His death and resurrection, we proclaim it when we take this meal because Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. He is therefore able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He always lives. So he rose from the dead and he's still doing something, right? He's still doing something. He did something. He interceded for us at the cross, right? He got between us and the wages of sin, which was death, right? An eternal separation from God. He interceded for us at the cross, but he still intercedes for us. Today, right now, Jesus is doing that for you. He's fighting for you, right? Why? Why does he have to do that? Revelation 12 says this, the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before God day and night. Satan's still at work accusing you. He's in the courtroom with Jesus accusing you and Jesus is in that courtroom defending you. He's standing between you and all of the accusations. And guess what? He's successful in his defense. Why? Because the battle is already won, and that's what this table is about. The battle's won, right? He fought the battle on the cross that we could never fight. He won the battle that we could never win. And the battle was this. Sin reigned and ruled in our hearts because of the fall. Sin was on the throne of my heart. Sin was the kingdom I belonged to. And he came and he said, I'm taking the throne back. And I did it. I've won. The battle's over. But I am still fighting for you through my spirit, through my intercession, through the armor that I've given you. And so we come to this table and we do what he says in John 16. I have told you these things so that you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble. You're in a fight, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's what we do when we come to the table. We take heart. And it strengthens us for the battle that we have to fight. We can choose not to. But we, he's calling us to do it. Strengthens us for the battle we have to fight until Christ returns. But what we experience at this table is this. The battle is already won. And God fights for our hearts at this table as we partake in the sacrament, right? He strengthens our hearts for what we have to do when we go out there while we await his return. So let's come to the table. I'm going to pray for us here in a second. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11. But if you're in Christ this morning, if you have basically said, I know that I needed him to fight that fight for me, I could have never defeated my sin. And he did that perfectly and forever because of his work on the cross. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan can accuse all day long. He will not win. He's a dog on a chain, right? There's no more condemnation. And so I come to this table. If that's you, you come and you feast on that truth. If you're not in Christ, he says, hold off from this meal, right? Come to me 
and come to faith in me and trust in me and hope in me. Let me fight for you, right? Well, my house is definitely going to be underwater when I get home. <laughs> Oof. Let me fight for you, right? Stop fighting for yourself because you can't fight for yourself. Let me fight for you. And then come to this meal that declares, I've trusted that you are my true helper, that you are my advocate. You are the only one who defeated sin and death for me. And Paul also says, examine your heart before you come to this table. And I, I don't know, maybe the best place to examine your heart this morning is just to actually ask the Lord, what other armor am I putting on that's like putting on a Halloween costume when you've asked me to pick up this armor and put it on that you've provided this armor of, of your righteousness, of your salvation, of the sword of your spirit. And Lord, would you show me what that is and help me to take off this other stuff, this faulty armor, and put on what you've given to me, all right? So maybe that'd be a great place to examine. I'm gonna pray for us here. Come forward. Folks are ready to serve you. Put out your hands when you're ready. You don't have to rush through this. Um, you don't wanna have to rush back to your car. Uh, I keep acknowledging the rain, don't I? Uh, put out your hands when you're ready to be served. Uh, if you need prayer, cross your arms and somebody would be happy to pray for you. Um, and then when you're done, kind of go out the sides. There's trash cans uh, for your cups and everything like that. Um, we just encourage you, if your kids are coming up with you, if they're not partaking of the sacraments, great for them to come up with you. Um, but just please let the person know uh, who's serving them that they will or won't be partaking, okay? All right, let me read this and then I'll pray for us. This is from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord... What I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you. Thank you that you fought the fight we couldn't fight, and that you died the death we couldn't die, <laughs> and that you've given us the life uh, that we could never live, uh, and that we have all this because of what you've done for us. I pray that we would remember, like Nehemiah called, remember who you are as we come to this table, that we proclaim who you are, and Lord, that you would proclaim what's true over us, that we are your sons, that we are your daughters, that we are the ones that you fight for. And I pray for the very specific places in the hearts of every single person in this room that you would fight for that spot in their heart, that you'd make it clear to them, I am fighting for you. I'm here, you're not alone, you have a helper. And Lord, would you give us even grace to maybe invite somebody else into that after this time? In your name, amen.